and welcome back to Cooking the Books with me, Jillie Smith. This week I am with Luca Iaccarino, Italian food critic and journalist for Italy's most respected newspapers, La Repubblica and Corriere della Sera. But he's also the co-creator of Buonissima, surely Turin's most spectacular food festival, featuring some of the best chefs in Europe. And he's got a book out. So how could I refuse the opportunity to grab my global interrail pass and head south to the home of the slow food movement to inhale the truffles of nearby Alba and bask in the golden glow of superstar chefs? We are in the shadow of Alba. I love Alba. I love truffle and barolo and so on. But we have to tell tourists that close to Alba, 40 minutes by car, uh, there is a really beautiful city with beautiful restaurants. We are close to the restaurant El Cambio, founded in 1757, so really ancient. So uh, we have to bring back tourists in Turin. I met him outside Del Cambio, the oldest restaurant in Italy, where the Unification Treaty was signed back in 1861, to ask first about his book, Appetiti, and poke under the skin of Italian food culture to find a rather different story than we're used to. Uh, I've been travelling for food in Italy the last 30 years, and uh, my really big love is trattorias, popular, traditional, and very authentic food, but I do love also creative, innovative, avant-garde food. I think that there is the, the only uh, division, the only split is between good and bad food. It, it does not depend about the, the price of the bill or, or, or the level of the st- or the stars and so on. Uh, so during the pandemic, I, I understood uh, uh, something I knew before, but uh, it became clear to me that uh, food has no meaning without the connections with uh, places and people and uh, journeys and meetings with, with unknown people and, uh, and so on. Because at the beginning of the pandemic, we tried to bring food, good food at our homes along with delivery and so also big Michelin stars restaurants try to send uh, their, their food, their recipes to our house. And at the beginning, I didn't, I didn't understand what was going wrong because the food didn't taste the same. And uh, so, um, a couple of years before, I read a, a book called uh, uh, Why We Eat What We Eat about the relationship um, between taste and behavior and relationship and so on. And so I understood that probably the, te- the products were the same and the, the hand of the cook were, was the same, were the same. Uh, the food didn't taste the same. Because but, of the context, because of yeah, the house, yeah, because yeah. of not going out to eat with other people and the yeah. ambience. So that is part of the psychological process of eating. Yeah, that's right. That's perfect. So uh, probably uh, we, we all know it, but in that days, in the weeks... Uh, it was so, so clear, so evident, because we couldn't move. And so I decided to put together some of the reportage I made uh, in the last few years uh, in a book to demonstrate uh, what food is. And for me, food is people, producers, men, uh, waiters, and dishwashers, and, uh, and cooks, the whole thing, and travel and so on. So... I put them. Uh, I, I put together 26 reportage divided in four sections. Work, because I think that we forget that behind that there are workers and workers and workers, and 
uh, money and uh, entrepreneur and, and so on. So the first one is about work. The second one is about products. I'm Italian, so for us the product is everything. Yeah, we don't. We I always uh, say that I could live without cooks, but I couldn't live without producers. For me, prosciutto and parmigiano and anchovies are okay. I don't need cooks really. That's the truth. That's the truth. Uh, and then the third one is uh, society, the way the food uh, deals with our uh, lives every day. Uh, for instance, there is a big report about. Um, what children eat at school. I, I spent four years in a, in a school eating a, no, every month uh, to understand what, what they eat and if the quality is okay, if there is any kind of education about food and so on. And, uh, and the last one is about uh, travels. Yeah. Your first food moment is when you travel to Peru to see Virgilio Martinez, uh-huh. one of the best chefs in the world. Rilio is really famous for his ranking in uh, 50 best with uh, Centrale in Lima. But um, his peculiarity is that is a kind of uh, Che Guevara cook. He really struggles for the rights of small uh, communities of producers in, in Peru, in, uh, in the forest and in the mountains and so on, because they, they, they are exploited. By, in, um, when I went to um, this other restaurant, it's got Miller. It's a restaurant on the top of the mountains of 4,000 meters on, on, the, on the sea. Close, but not so close to Cusco, about four hours uh, by car. And when I went there, I was the first Italian journalist. It's really, really small. Uh, Mill is uh, in the middle of uh, a plantation of uh, quinoa, plantations and plantations of quinoa. And uh, before he went there, uh, small producers of quinoa in the place were, were sold their quinoa for a few, 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 few uh, little price, a few money. When he went there with an anthropologist and uh, some farmers that um, um, make him able to uh, create a connection with these people because they really live far from the city from far from the culture of the city he was considered a gringo even if he's Peruvian in that place he uh, was considered a gringo a, an invader or an American something like that and uh, then he teach them to uh, find the best way to sell their quinoa in a better way they help them help help is not a really the good word I don't know push them to do their best enabled we would enabled, say enabled yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a very it's a really wonderful generous way of using your position yeah. to uh, to pass on the power yeah that's perfectly right uh, I told him you are kind of Fitzcarraldo the famous movie by Werner Herzog with Klaus Kinski that wrote a, a ship with a opera singer in the middle of uh, the Amazonia. And I think it's really, really important. You remember uh, about fires in Amazonia and so on. The only way, the only way to try to um, make, uh, build the future for these food communities, I live in Turin, food communities are the goal of uh, slow food is to teach them not to do what they know how to do but to preserve it and to 
um, yeah, find new ways to, to make it contemporary. Absolutely. And these are the stories I did an interview, uh, which is out this week, actually, with uh, the, the, with Dan Saladino, who yeah. the presenter of the food program in, in Britain. And he talks about this book is called Eating to Extinction. And it's yeah. about the endangered foods on the planet and why we need to save them. More and more these stories are coming out. You know, what you're talking about is so contemporary now. We don't just have to save the planet. We don't have to just think about food poverty and food food insecurity, even in the richest countries in the world like Britain. But we have to think about indigenous peoples who are the stewards of the land. Your second food moment is the moment when you go truffle hunting. Yeah. What I try to do is to, to do, I, I hope, good journalism. So going straight to the place, do not deal with PR and press office. A journalist has to go straight to the reality and one of these is uh, the truffle hunting. Truffle hunting in Piemonte is really famous because we've got Alba, truffle, and so on. Uh, always the, the storytelling about truffle hunting manipulated, manipulated, or redacted, redacted mm-hmm. by uh, the, 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 the truffle sellers. Yeah, is, we would say spun. We have spin doctors, that PR yeah. people, who spin the story into something that is in their interest rather than yeah, the, the, something that's, that's Yeah, you're right. And so what everybody knows about truffle is that there is an ancient man with a small dog they go no moon uh, during the night uh, and everything is so warm and then this uh, gold uh, um, food uh, comes out from the blah 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 I tried to do it really and I found something really really different with people with guns and uh, saying one to the other I'll kill you if you don't go away from in fact this reportage is called the truffle Fargo Fargo like the Coen Brothers movie or, and, uh, and it was so different so illegal uh, no money declared to the, no taxes uh, no rules I eat truffle the same but I want to know what's really behind the scenes because this is the only way to understand also the suffering the 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 the, the damages sometimes we do and uh, i didn't want to do a book about uh sustainability and so on but it became a book about sustainability yeah, yeah, yeah. because watching the reality i often i went i went uh fishing with a with a, a big fishing ship in Liguria, so not, not that far from here, about one hour and a half by car. And then when the, the nets were uh, plenty full of uh, rubbish, full of rubbish, and they took the rubbish and dropped in the sea again. And they told them, why do you... And they told me, nobody pays us for bringing back to, to, to the coast. And, and the fact that they told that a few years ago in the newspaper, uh, it was La Repubblica, the Italian government made a law that uh, made the regional administration pay the, the fishermen for bringing the, the rubbish back to the coast. Yeah, thank you. We can, we, can, we can change things a little bit. Change the world. <laughs> Your third food moment is all about conscious eating. Now, this again is a very new subject. It's about your relationship with pig. Yeah, I eat meat. Uh, I love meat. I'm from Piemonte. We, uh, we are famous for our cows and meat from cows. 
but never in my life I saw um, the death of a big animal. And uh, as I am, uh, as I eat meat, and as I am a journalist, and as I want to know, uh, to, to, to have consciousness of what I do, um, I decided this is an original reportage for the book. I didn't publish it before for uh, on a newspaper. I decided I wanted to um, to see the death of, uh, in this case, of a pig, not a cow, of a pig. Uh, because I wanted to um, um, understand what, what, which effect uh, was going to, to have to me. And uh, so um, in, in Italy it's really, really traditional on December when it's really, really cold uh, in many families. And all the, from, no, from north to south in the countryside, um, families have one, one pig, two pigs, and they kill uh, in usually the, in December the 8th, uh, anyway, um, between December and January when the weather is really, really cold because the, the meat of the pig is really delicate. And uh, so uh, I asked some friend and they went to uh, Emilia. Emilia is really, really famous for, for pigs because they got ham and prosciutto di parma and so on. And they found a lady, a lady about 70, living on her own in the countryside. And um, she is used to, to grow up a pig every year, one, one per year. Then in December, everybody there calls Norcino. Norcino is the, the man that knows how to kill the pig and then uh, how to clean it. And, and then how to make salami, prosciutti, yeah. and, uh, and so on. It was really what the storytelling says, and in this way it's true. This, this time it's true. It's really a kind of uh, ritual. It's something really, a, a real ritual. What was the impact on you? Uh, the impact on me, um, uh, at the beginning, it was so... It looked cruel, it looked cruel. But then the lady uh, starts crying, and it was it was really strange because it's your pig, you are killing it. Why are you crying? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it happens every year. She must be used to it. Yeah, but she wasn't used to it, and she told me every year is a big suffering for me. It's a big uh, pain for me. But this is this is my life. I mean, it is going to feed me. So, and it would feed her for a year. A pig yeah. like that, a six-month-old pig, yeah. would feed a, a, her, a family uh, for, a, for a year. Yeah, yeah. In uh, in uh, Emilia, they use it for only for prosciutto and culatello and salami, and so they last in time because you can you, you can age them, and so about for, for about one year for parents and friends and so on. So. I did like it because uh, it created a connection between the pain of the for the animal, uh, obviously, but also for the owner of the animal, and very good food like culatello. And I think we have to um, to understand it. But Nature that, is not. But friend. we know that the Italians absolutely do have that connection. One of the problems that the British have, and why we have such a weird food culture, where we have a real divided nation between those who who eat very well and those people who really don't eat as well at all, and all the health issues and the poverty issues and the food insecurity issues. 
because we have no connection with the land and haven't had it for hundreds of years. But the Italians have. It's only recently that you've had this issue with the rise in interest in junk food and pe- as people move to the cities. You know, um, unfortunately, the, the data says that our children' obesity rate is uh, higher than the average in Europe because there are other countries that are better than us. It affects... Uh, most of all, the, the south of Italy. Mm-hmm. There is, and uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's unbelievable because they the Mediterranean diet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's unbelievable. But that's to do with poverty. In the Mediterranean, in the southern part of Italy, is where the people are poorest. Uh, you're right with poverty, but also with po- with cultural poverty, yes. with, with lack of culture. You know, I made another reportage uh, uh, one week ago about food in schools, again, mm-hmm. and another reportage about food in schools. And in the south, one of the reasons why in the south of Italy, the children live in school before they, they are supposed to do to do it uh, is higher and higher uh, compared to the north, is that they cannot eat at school. Schools don't have canteens. No. Why no. not? Because it's, it, it costs a lot of it costs a lot of money. Okay, so and the children have always been sent home to yeah, eat. Yeah, yeah, and, and so there's uh, yeah. no canteen. So they cannot have a full-time school. So the parents don't know how to do with them. So they keep them at home. Yeah. I see. That's yeah. interesting because, of course, in in France they have a three-course meal. No, in Italy, it's it's mandatory only from ten to eleven. Then from eleven to fourteen, yeah. it depends on the school. It's not mandatory, yeah. and, and so the the rate of uh, children leaving school in the south is double in the north. And uh, you know, in Italy, um, the food at school is um, we. It's supposed to be educational time. It's not a break between lessons and lessons. Um, I fear that uh, everybody thinks that in Italy the, 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 our relationship with food is probably one of the most in the world, but probably the most in the world is in Japan, I think. Uh, and uh, in Italy, what happens uh, often, we are so used to stay in a, in a comfort zone that we are so used to that we lose attention to it, we lose, we lose commitment, and, and so it, it becomes not true anymore. Mm. You know, in, in Italy in the 80s, 1980s, people were eating worse and worse and worse. Then the slow food movement uh, born, and the Salon del Gusto, and so on, and since uh, 1980s, 1986, yeah, the foundation of uh, slow food, Till the end of uh, 1999, uh, probably the, 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 the relationship with food uh, be- between Italians and food raised and it was much better, much better, much better. Then probably uh, it stopped. The, the, this, this, uh, raising, this raise stopped. And I think now our um, uh, curve, I don't know. Uh, Curve, yeah. yeah, is not growing up, is going down. Okay. So probably we need 
to focus one more time about the, the food problems and uh, okay. so on. And so the food that you're talking about is so different, isn't it? I mean, you know, we are in Turin, we're in the middle of your wonderful Buonissima festival, and yeah, we'll talk a little you. bit about that later. But you're bringing in uh, chefs like Ferran Adria and Massimo Bottura who have used food to innovate and, and, and do incredible things. But can you bring together all that you wrote about in the book to sort of show... How important it is to, to tell stories about food. I mean, in Buonissima, you're using your chefs to tell stories. What stories do we still need to tell and how can we get them out beyond the, the middle class people who you're inviting to come to, to, to pay good money for these extraordinary feasts? Yeah, I think this is the point of the book. Uh, the point of the book is uh, how to tell stories about food. And what you, what do we need? Uh, and I think that the answer is journalism, journalists, and journalism, because I think the the big problem about the food storytelling today is that this storytelling is ninety uh, percent communication uh, pushed from companies, restaurants, and so on, and it's perfectly right. There's nothing wrong. Uh, but the aim of the of the of these companies or these uh, um, people uh, is to sell something, to tell a story, not not the story, not the true story, but the story they are interested in telling because it works for. And uh, I think that this way has quite almost completely um, erased the food journalism or in Italy I don't know in England uh, uh, and uh, this is a big big damage for readers and for citizens because we don't know anymore the reality the, fa the facts but we know the version of the reality that the winemaker or beer maker and so on want uh, us to, to know people like Massimo Bottura Italy's most famous chef, constantly sort of number one or number two in the world in the, top, in the 50 best. How do people like him, who are all about avant-garde food, how do they contribute to that rise that you're talking about, that rise of interest, that idea that we all have that Italians know everything about food? What's Massimo's role in that? I think Massimo is uh, certainly, as, as you said, one of the best, probably the best, the most famous Italian chef of, of, of all times. Uh, even um, yeah, because he's got television and so on. And I think that his commitment made really the difference. I think so. I don't. Th I don't. I don't believe so much that a chef can make the difference um, in his own restaurant. You can change if you become an ambassador and also the engine of, of uh, a movement, a project. And it's not, not only chefs can do it. Can, can, the, the most famous man in Italy about food, I don't think is Massimo Boutour, I think it's Carlo Petrini, the founder of the Slow Food mo Movement. They are close friends. And he's, he's not a chef. He's, um, he, I, I don't know, he's a philosopher or yeah. something like that. And uh, they really can create things that then move a uh, hundred or thousand of people. Yesterday Massimo in Bonissima told us about the Tortellante, the project he made with Tortellini with autistic yes. uh, guys. 
and uh, talk about the refectory, the restaurants for uh, people with mental health with, issues yeah. and homelessness. He's a yeah. big on social projects. Yeah, and and so on. His biggest um, quality is that he could match uh, great Italian tradition with. Uh, is uh, contemporary and uh, absolutely uh, personal uh, way to see cook and uh, the recipes and with the ethic things. You became a waiter at yeah. Massimo's restaurant, Osteria Francescana, the best restaurant in the world for, for many years. And your fourth food moment is becoming a waiter at his restaurant. How did that happen? Uh, yeah, I think, um, I really think that we talk too much about cooks and not enough about waiters and so I decided to try on my uh, to, to put in the clothes of the of the waiter so I asked Massimo and Beppe Palmieri is a maitre uh, to, to work uh, at the Francescana so for a couple of days I've been a waiter there and it has been uh, challenging because I never have been a waiter before and they, obviously the, the customers are really really uh, choosy and they didn't uh, know that you uh, absolutely not, absolutely not. Uh, but everything went well. I was really adrenaline, and with Massimo, you know, it's uh, go, 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 go. The only uh, wrong thing I made, Massimo doesn't know it, but now now he's going to do to know it, that I put my finger in, oops, mi è caduta la crostatina, in the cream, and uh, just... Put, put my finger so then I, I, I served the, 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 the crostatina and the cream with my uh, finger print but nobody complained he would have so. seen it as art yeah 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 probably it's a, 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 a genius a new genius a genial <laughs> idea from, from the chef and, and Massimo has become one of your biggest ambassadors for Buonissima yeah. which is the Turin Food Festival now this was supposed to happen last year the pandemic has given it a whole new texture Turin, as we're sitting in right now in this beautiful evening, is pretty empty. The tourists are not here yet. I mean, OK, so it's nearly November. But is Buonissima about bringing attention back to Turino food? Absolutely, yes. This is the, the goal of Buonissima. Uh, I think Torino is, a, is an historical city. It's really beautiful and blah, blah, blah. But, and it's got a big, big, huge uh, food tradition. But we are close to Alba and uh, we are... Even if we are a, a city with old uh, buildings and uh, paintings and so on, art and so on, and Alba is not, uh, we are in the shadow of Alba. I love Alba, I love travel and Barolo and so on. But we have to tell to tourists that close to Alba, 40 minutes by car, uh, there is a really beautiful city with beautiful restaurants we are close to the Ristorante del Cambio founded in 1757 so really ancient and uh, so they've got Truffle and Barolo but you can move Truffle and Barolo it's not but you cannot move buildings so uh, we have to bring back tourists in Turin uh, we uh, succeeded in doing it in 2006 when we had the Olympic Winter Games and uh, the city was uh, beautiful because full of people and energy and um, parties and so on we want back that kind of city and I think Bunisma is not probably is not the certainly is not the only thing but it is a piece of the puzzle 
Massimo is one of our ambassadors. Ferran Adria uh, is one of our ambassadors. That yesterday he said he is going to the world and said, come to Torino because it's a beautiful city. And we have got Anna Roche and uh, Mauriassi, Norbini Rebekofler, Niederkofler and the other chefs. And uh, I trust that Torino will be back in the uh, ways of, uh, of gourmet and tourists. The idea of Bonisma is not to have only food, but to put food with art, uh, buildings and uh, old paintings and contemporary music and so on. So we all work to do it. Thanks for listening. You can buy all the books featured on Cooking the Books, including Appetiti by Luca Iacorino in Italian by clicking on the bookshop tab at jillysmith.com. And while you're there, do sign up for the newsletter to keep up with all my supper club news. I'll see you next week when I'm with Sharon Wee, whose book Growing Up in a Nonya Kitchen has become the subject of an extraordinary row over plagiarism. 